If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The following episode contains strong language right from the start. Welcome to Real Stories Tapes True Crime a podcast made by the team behind Real Stories, the online home of exclusive and award-winning documentaries from all over the world. My name is Stephanie Bauer, and today we're bringing you the second and final episode of Interview with a Murderer, a story about the brutal and still unsolved murder of 13-year-old newspaper boy Carl Bridgewater that would shock the community of a peaceful, rural English village. This episode is based on the documentary Interview with a Murderer, which was made in 2016. As well as me, British actor Stephen McIntosh also narrates part of the documentary. And if you haven't heard the first episode, I'd recommend going back now to the start of our story. So here is part two of Interview with a Murderer. The sound of a shotgun being discharged in an enclosed area like this is absolutely ear-shattering. The 13-year-old newsboy from Wordsley, Starbridge, Carl Bridgewater, never heard the shot that killed him. He died instantly as he was blasted at point-blank range in the head. Professor David Wilson has now spent more than 20 hours talking to Bert Spencer and believes he may be displaying some of the classic symptoms of psychopathy. For further insight, David decided to contact Bert's daughter, who is still on good terms with him. She was a friend of Carl's and played with him on the street where they both lived, and she believes her father is innocent of murder. But even she thinks there's more to the story than Bert will admit. I was in school, and then they told me that the paper boy, Carl, has been shot. And I just sat there and I thought, oh my God. And my dad was number one suspect. I've always felt that he saw something that day that killed him inside. Bert's daughter has a theory that while her father did not kill Carl, he may have inadvertently stumbled across a crime scene at Yew Tree Farm. Suddenly, you hear a 
your gunshot go off. And then, after it's all dispersed, you go in and you see something and you can't believe what you're looking at and what you're witnessing and what you're seeing and you're just horrified. I have tried to discuss that with him on, on, on an occasion, but he was very emotional. That's remarkable. She herself says that she thinks her father was at Utree Farm on the day that Carl Bridgewater was murdered. She herself believes that her father, with whom she retains a wonderful relationship, hasn't revealed the full truth, that there's something more going on, and she thinks at the very least what more was going on was he was at the farm on the day that Carl was murdered. Now, isn't that a powerful piece of testimony? Because this is not somebody who's attacking Bert. This isn't Paul Foote. This isn't the Bridgewater Four campaign. This is his own daughter. Hello again, David. Yeah, how are you? Thanks for coming all this way. Uh, good to see you again. And you're wearing a tie. I know. Do you want to borrow it? <laughs> <laughs> Tidy up a bit. <laughs> Bert and David are returning to Wordsley, Staffordshire where Bert Spencer and Carl Bridgewater used to live as neighbours just five doors apart. Throughout, we have seen a photograph of Carl, a white-skinned, dark-haired, smiling boy. Somewhere here, Carl lived. One of these houses. And uh, we lived in that one there. Which one? That one there, look. And yeah. Carl lived? Somewhere there. So one, two, three, four, five doors away is Carl Bridgewater. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I kind of imagined. See, this is why I'm so interested to be here. I kind of imagined it was going to be really big. No, this was it. It's very intimate. This was a kid's playground. All the kids play with each other? Yeah, yeah. But you have no memory of Carl then? No. When I seen Carl's picture in the paper, I thought, yeah, they all look like that. They all. I hope no one's offended the way I talk. It was just a kid playing with other kids. Meant nothing to me. As said in the nicest possible way, I didn't know him. I've seen him perhaps hundreds of times dodging up and down with his, his mates. It's lovely to come back. It's, it's, it's lovely to come back. <laughs> but doesn't this have really... You're flabbergasted. I'm flabbergasted. Why? Well, I kind of thought this would be really emotional. No, it isn't. It's lovely to come back and see how nice this place has been made. Driving away, Bert suddenly spots another house he recognises. He asks to make an unscheduled stop. Bob lived up here. Oh, we've got a camera. Hello, camera. Barbara was Bert's former secretary at the ambulance station 40 years ago. And she's the woman who gave him a cast iron alibi on the day Carl was murdered. She has never spoken on camera before. Does Barbara live here? Are you Julie? I'm Bert. I'm Bert. <laughs> Come here. <laughs> Come here, you cheeky bugger. <laughs> Oh my God! All these years, eh? You look yeah. lovely. Is she in? Is she all right? 
Barbara! Hey, <laughs> <laughs> babes. Oh, Look at I'm going to cry. Let's cry together. <laughs> oh, come here. Oh, we're not going through all of this again, are we? No, no, it's better this time, lovey. Better this time. I wrote a book, Barbara. Yeah? To show why a lot of people were wrong in the allegations. I'm bloody crying, hang on a bit. And um, oh, come on. because of we the book... We just got it. <laughs> <laughs> come here, you. <laughs> What's it like seeing him again? I can't believe it. That's a long, long time. And you still look lovely. Yeah. Barbara, Barbara, answer me this question. And I, I want that not to interrupt. Get on with it. And the one bit from your witness statements that I wonder if we can clarify is that you didn't know if perhaps Bert had gone for lunch on the day that Carl Bridgewater uh, had been murdered. You didn't know he could have gone for lunch, you said, and he normally takes his lunch between 12.30, could go on perhaps as late as 2. Do, can you remember if Bert took lunch that day that Carl Bridgewater was murdered? What? I suppose so. What, what, what going back a few years now, can I remember? 36. What exactly I said with time. But this is it. I always used to go at 1 o'clock to a half one. He had various yeah. times. Well, he'd, he'd been missing. He'd got lots of hospitals to cope with. And he didn't just cope with the COVID. So he, he could have gone for lunch on that day between well, those times. Gone. Yes. Yes. Well, that's great, and I just wanted to clarify that. And that's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. So did you go for, I went for the lunch journey on that day? I don't know for Christ's sake. You don't know. This is this is part. This is I the story. This cat. This you've been the scapegoat for murder, and you can't remember if you went home for lunch. No, I didn't. I didn't have a set pattern, David. I was all over the bloody place, yeah. and and my phones never stopped, and I was up to. So the if you had no set pattern, Bert, you could have been there at four o'clock. You could have been there at five o'clock. By ruling, by opening up further possibilities, you make it more complicated and more possible, right, rather than less complicated. Let's close those possibilities that you're making in your mind. I'm you not making them in my mind. Will you listen? I, I didn't, sure. I didn't go home for lunch. You'll have to believe me. You can't disprove it. I don't want us to argue any further. We're not arguing. We're seriously discussing something that touches my emotions. I've clarified that. Good. I'm delighted to have met you, Barbara. Oh. See ya. <sighs> Bert insists that others saw him at the ambulance station on the day of Carl's murder. But his so-called cast-iron alibi from his secretary, Barbara, is not as cast-iron as he's always claimed. He called at this farm sometime after four o'clock to deliver the evening paper. I'm satisfied from the inquiries we've made that uh, he disturbed or came across intruders to the house, that he was either invited into the house or taken into the house, and there, shot in the head at point-blank range, quite cold-bloodedly, and I can honestly think of no motive other than it disturbed uh, intruders. We've got to go right here, then. And it should be on the right. Bert is revisiting Yew Tree Farm for the first time in almost four decades. As a young man, he worked and shot on the surrounding farmland, 
and he himself admits having been inside the house on at least three occasions. Oh gosh, this is it. Oh my gosh, have a look at this. Crikey. I was up and down here hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. You knew the farm well. Oh, crikey, yes. And had you been inside the farm yes, house? Yes, I had, I had. I'd been in and spoke to them and sat down with them, a cup of tea with them. I knew people came, I knew the doctor came, I knew someone delivered papers, but not who. What's it feel like to be standing outside the place well, that's, you know, your name is attached know, to the I story know. of the farm that once stood here? I know. Um, if Carl was alive, what is it you would like to say to him? Well, Carl, 35 years ago, because of two horrific murder cases that happened in this vicinity, your name and mine became intrinsically joined. How I wish we could have been fused together under different and happier circumstances. Through the, through the power of silent prayer, I have spoken to and prayed for you, Carl, many times. That's Carl, is what I say to you. God bless you. Uh, and what do you think Carl might say back I to you? I don't know. I really don't. What do you think he might say? He might say you killed him. He might. But he would know that that would be a lie. He wouldn't say that. He was apparently a nice little boy, scout. He wouldn't lie. Why do you think he got murdered that day? Well, I can only go on what the police said. It was a robbery, robbery and he got disturbed. There was a robbery in progress. Robbers don't normally shoot 13-year-old no, boys. No, no, neither do ambulance men. Thank you very much. Point taken. Ambulance men don't normally shoot their best no. friends. And ambulance men, David, don't go on armed robberies in full dress uniform to places where they are very well known. For me, he was shot because he could identify his killer. I know what you're thinking, but let me just make this perfectly clear. I would not have, under any circumstances, come on an armed robbery to a farm I thought people were in and where I was known and I knew someone delivered papers now. Maybe you weren't doing an armed robbery. You could have been doing anything. You've spotted something when you were in the house. You could have been taking things to sell on. And Carl Bridgewater, because the back door was open, was used to walking in if the back door was open because he would deliver, hand deliver the papers to the elderly couple. That's what's in the police statement. So if he sees the back door open, he walks in and he then encounters somebody and he goes, oh, hello, Mr. Spencer. Yeah. That's the theory of yours, is it? No, it's actually a theory that's in a it's lot a of the- It's a police theory. Do you it's... believe the police? The lies I've told about me and you still believe them? I think that he was shot, Carl was shot, because he could identify the, the person or people yes. who were um, breaking in. Well, that's feasible. Is that feasible? It's feasible, I haven't argued against that. But who were he or they or them? Mm-hmm. It certainly wasn't me. Mm-hmm. The four who were arrested for it, I believed had done it. I don't know, I believed they did. And do you still believe they did? Yes, I do. While Bert says he still believes the Bridgewater Four were responsible for Carl's murder, there is at least one other theory Professor Wilson has uncovered during his recent investigations. A theory that the police never tested at the time. 
One other vehicle, a green Land Rover, was spotted in the driveway of Yew Tree Farm on the day Carl Bridgewater was murdered. And it is probable that that vehicle belonged to none other than Hubert Wilkes. So had Wilkes seen something that incriminated Bert Spencer that day, or was he possibly involved in the burglary himself? Here is the photo fit of one of the men that was seen that day. Yeah. And above is Hubert Wilkes. Well, it should be more squinty, a bit more jowly. It doesn't look like him. You don't think that looks no, like him? No, he had no hair like that. And he got squinty eyes. He was jowly, you know what I mean by that? But that, that, that looks uncanny. You don't think he could have been at Yew Tree Farm that day? I never thought of that. Is that a possibility? Uh, yes. Bert's wife, Janet, challenges his version of the events leading up to the murder of Wilkes, especially the sexual advances and special cocktails. But Janet did tell a local reporter at the time that there had been conversations about Carl that night. We can confirm that Mrs. Spencer told our reporter, Mr. Tony Bishop, that there had been talk about the Carl Bridgewater case at Holloway House Farm on the evening that Mr. Wilkes was shot. David Wilson and Bert Spencer will now meet for one last time. David will confront Bert with his theory and present the results of his psychological assessment. This broadcast, this film, will be rather like an Agatha Christie, David. It twists and turns. Halfway through it, you still don't know if the butler did it. If I found evidence that clearly proves that what you've told me was rubbish. Right, bring it. Okay. Bring it. Okay. Carl Bridgewater's father. How would you like him to be remembered? Uh, as a cheerful boy, always going around nice and cheerful and helpful. Um, you never saw him miserable, you know, he was always smiling and happy. CrimeCon, the world's number one true crime event, is coming to London in 2021 on Saturday the 25th and 26th September. Get inside the mind of serial killers and psychopaths, learn from leading criminologists, immerse yourself in forensic evidence, and delve deeper into unsolved crimes. CrimeCon is the ultimate true crime weekend, partnered with crime and investigation and a perfect opportunity to meet fellow true crime enthusiasts. Limited tickets are on sale now at crimecon.co.uk and we have an exclusive discount code for you. To claim your discount, enter the code REAL at checkout. That's R-E-A-L, REAL. Head over to crimecon.co.uk now. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You'll be tormenting somebody else tomorrow. <laughs> Are all your people as, as blunt as me? <laughs> Professor David Wilson has spent the last six months looking into the murder of newspaper boy Carl Bridgewater and interviewing one-time suspect Bert Spencer, who has consistently denied any involvement in the boy's death. You all right? You comfortable? Yes. I think the phrase that you used that I always remember was that you said to me that you wouldn't run and you wouldn't hide. I never do. Your alibi is that you were at Corbett Hospital all day on the day that Carl yeah. Bridgewater was murdered. There was another person at Corbett Hospital that day who, of course, was Barbara Reibold. What about the others? Well, but Barbara Reibold in particular was she really She made a important. written statement, I believe. She made several others, written statements. Well, OK, I didn't know that. Others who worked in the same floor space made verbal, yes, OK, he was here, but they didn't write it down. They didn't have to. The coppers at the time didn't do everything right, what I think is right. They didn't ask, will you make a statement? Will you make a statement? They didn't feel the need. Someone's already done it. And Barbara Reibold made those statements. Yes, yeah. And as you know, I've tracked down those statements. And you were there when I asked her, could she say that she was there all afternoon and was able to verify that you were there all afternoon. And she can't. She can't guarantee what times you may have right. left Corbett Hospital all afternoon. It means that you don't have a cast iron alibi. Okay. That, that alibi is, well, it disappears, but. I accept what you say. I don't have now a cast-iron alibi. Do you have any evidence that I killed Carl Bridgewater? If you do, sir, bring it forward. If you don't, shut your mouth. OK, you've now annoyed me. You've, you get annoyed by me fairly regularly, yes. Bert, and you threaten me quite a lot as That's well. That's not threatening, it's but me talking straight. I also asked you, Bert, in relation to the Wilkes connection. What was happening the night that you took Hubert Wilkes' life? Your wife at the time made statements to various places saying that Carl Bridgewater was mentioned that night. Well, if it was, I wasn't in the room at that time. I didn't mention it. She says it was mentioned I at the time. I don't care what she says. I'm not rubbishing her statement. I'm saying to you, 
I wasn't in the room when it was, if it was. You can't just say, but she says it was. That's what I'm saying to you, that's my response. Hubert Wilkes was goading you. I wonder if that plays a part in relation to what happened at you. Have you Farm. spoken with Jean Wilkes, who sat in the lounge that night? No, I haven't. Why? Well, because I can't find Jean Wilkes. Well, there was no discussion of the Carl Bridgewater case. If there had have been, David, so what? Did you and Hubert Wilkes ever discuss uh, robberies? We never did. Right, okay. Now, I'm going to play you something, but at the moment, I particularly wanted you to hear what your daughter said in relation to Hubert Wilkes and the discussion of robberies. I particularly remember he would stand at the fire with his back to the fire and I was lying on the settee. He would just constantly talk about robberies and how you can commit the perfect crime by escaping through the woods. And I'd I'm like sorry, I, I, I don't agree with that. Hubert Wilkes used to come to my house and drink whiskey. Never discussed robberies with me. So your daughter's wrong? She's made a mistake. Well, she doesn't think that, but... OK, a lot of people think I killed Carl Bridgewater. I know I didn't, but I can't change their opinion. This is really where I'm coming to. Would you mind if I showed you something? Show me. These are a distressing. What do you mean if I, would I mind? Show me. These I'm are distressing photographs. Show me. These are the these are the crime scene photographs of Carl Bridgewater. Right. That's at the scene, I assume. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's, so why have you showed it? That, I've showed you that because I think, with the fact that you no longer have an alibi, that something happened that day that involved you at U-Tree Farm. And I want you to listen again. I've always felt that he saw something that day that killed him inside. If a story ever came out like I'd finished my shift and I'd got a little bit of time and I thought, all right, I'll go and do that errand. And then suddenly you hear a gunshot go off. And then after it's all dispersed and you see something. Tell me, I can't, can't hear it. I can hear something. And what you're witnessing and what you're seeing and you're just horrified. I have tried to discuss that with him on, on, on an occasion, but he was very emotional. Was that what happened? No. Did you go to U-Tree Farm that day? Your daughter thinks that you did go to U-Tree yes, Farm. I just heard what you said. She also thinks it was after my shift, after 5 p.m. Too late. Too late, mate. Even if I got there at quarter past, twenty past, there's no gunshot. That was an hour ago. Did you go after No, your I shift? did not. You, you've forgotten the time, she said. Did after you go after your shift? No, for Christ's sake. What for? What? I wasn't working there that month. What for? Well, after our first interview, I did a P-scan on you. What's that? It means psychopathy scan. So this isn't a clinical diagnosis. This is a way that I can gain some insight into the person that I'm talking to. And the total score for you was in the high range. A total score that falls in the high range should be a cause for serious concern. It suggests that the person of interest may have many 
or most of the features that define psychopathy. Such a person is likely to be egocentric, callous, cold-blooded, predatory, impulsive, irresponsible, dominant, deceptive, manipulative, and lacking in empathy, guilt, or genuine remorse for socially deviant and criminal acts. And that fits you to a T. It also fits you, you bugger. Some of the things you've said, to a T. This is you, Bert. You've just condemned me then, haven't you? You are somebody that I regard... As a psychopath. As a liar. Yeah. As somebody who has bent the truth as somebody who's manipulative, as conning. You're not this kindly old grandfather figure. That's your shtick, Bert, and I see through it. And all I can say to you is, in the absence of you having any alibi, because you were there when Barbara Ribel says she cannot stand up where you were on the afternoon that Carl Bridgewater was murdered. I'm not going to say, let me get a word in. I am going to get a word in, David. I think you need to see a psychiatrist. You are wrong. So very wrong. You're egoistic, all Mr. Important. What the hell does it matter what you think? The evidence shows. How the hell can I be there when I wasn't there? You'll have to prove that. Go ahead, do what you want. But I think you need psychiatric treatment, son. There's something wrong with the way you think. That is my belief. I think now it's really a question for other people to make their decision on these kinds of things. Because all I can do is tell you what I felt and I will raise this elsewhere. Okay, do that. Thank you. Big silence in the room. It's a fucking nutcase. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. He knows that if he starts admitting that he was at Yew Tree Farm, then actually, then the police have got to be re-interviewing him. It's all a load of absolute nonsense. It really is. I, I could not believe what I was hearing. He can't work it out, so instead of failing, he wants me as a scapegoat. I'll certainly stand by my man. Every inch of the way. This psychopath needs a cuddle. Seven weeks after Professor Wilson's last interview with Bert Spencer, the story takes another twist. Right. Well, as ever in the world of Burt Spencer, just when you think you've got some kind of conclusion, another opening offers itself as a possibility. Somebody's made contact with us that I've been wanting to speak to throughout this entire process. Burt's first wife. Janet has never spoken before on camera and has maintained a silence for some 38 years. I don't know what she's going to say, but I know whatever she says is going to be absolutely fascinating. Bert and Janet married as teenagers and lived in Wordsley for their entire marriage. This is the first time Janet has ever spoken publicly about her husband. 
Why do you want to talk about it now? After you've never spoken publicly to the press before, why now? Why 38 years later? Because I, I just think it's about time. I, I tell my side of the story. Janet, how long were you married to Barrett Spencer for? Uh, about 16, 17 years. What was it that first uh, attracted you to him? I don't know, his personality. He came across, you know, as a very nice person. On the day that Carl Bridgewater was murdered, did Bert seem his normal self? I came into the house, um, walked through, straight through to the kitchen. We'd, we'd had a kitchen extension and it overlooked the garden, nice big window. And I saw Bert standing there uh, with his hands in his pockets. Body language telling me that he wasn't very happy. Um, and I also noticed a jumper that had been pegged on the line, which, which a man had put on because women don't peg jumpers on like that. I went down, saw him, asked him, you know, everything okay? He said he didn't feel very well. Was that one of Bert's work jumpers? What colour was it? No, it was, it was a, a casual jumper, a green, a green jumper. And um, did you ever see that jumper again? No, never. But it was it was it clear to you that Bert had washed the jumper? Oh yeah. It just disappeared. It just disappeared. Mm -hmm. The night that Carl was murdered, you went out to celebrate a family member's birthday. Correct, yeah. What happened when you and Bert came home from that celebration? Uh, we came home fairly early, before 10 o'clock, and uh, he went to bed. I put television on and, and I was listening to news at 10, I think it was at that time. And of course the headlines were all to do with the murder of Carl. Um, and as I, I listened to it all, the fact that he'd lived very close to where we used to live, who he was, the farm, and, and, and I know Bert had gone up the farm shooting and he knew the area well and I was, I was just horrified with all the connections really to us and to birth. So I, I went upstairs uh, into the bedroom. I shook his arm, he, he wasn't asleep. Um, and I just said to him, please God, please tell me that you had nothing to do with that murder, you know. And his reply was, no, I didn't, but don't you think they'll be after me? It's on my patch. That was his reply. Janet, in September 1978, did Bert own a shotgun? Yes, he did. What happened to that shotgun? 
Um, I remember him saying, probably the day after Carl Bridgewater, that Carl Bridgewater murder, that um, he ought to, you know, get rid of it or take it somewhere. Uh, and I don't know what happened to it, but he... There was a gun in the house at the time. And he did have a shotgun licence for it. And he disposed of the shotgun mm. the day after Carbridge Water That's was right, murdered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you question him about why he wanted to do that? No, I'm afraid not. I didn't. I mean, it was my husband. I just couldn't believe that, you know, he'd be anyway remotely involved in something like that. I, I should have done, I suppose, but, you know, as you said yourself, he's a, he's a very plausible man. I just wanted to believe that he'd got nothing to do with it. So I didn't ask what he'd done with this. Were, was Barrett worried? Yeah, the next day, um, I think, I don't know whether the police saw him the next day, but certainly they'd had a few calls about him. Yeah, he was, he was uh, concerned. And I, I said, well, I don't know why you would, because you were at work. And what did he say to that? He said, well, I, I, I wasn't there all day. He said he wasn't at work all day. Mm. He said, I wasn't there all the time because... I said, why? And he said, because I didn't feel well. So he says, I was in the toilets for a long time. I told me, problem. I said, well, surely someone must have seen you. Somebody must have heard you or seen you go in the toilets. He said, no. Bert clearly collected antiques, bought and sold antiques. Were you ever worried that some of those antiques were stolen? No, I, I, I never suspected that, although he did a lot of wheel of dealing. But there was a time in between, before Mr Wilkes was shot, Something was found in in one of our friends' sheds. A bag a, a containing antiques had been found in their shed because someone had seen Bert coming out of their driveway. And so the husband went down to have a look in the shed and, and found this bag of antiques, brassware and copper, and, and, and tackled Bert about it. Uh, Bert had been asked to move it. And I did question him about this bag. And his words to me were, you must never, ever tell anybody about that, ever. So I said, well, uh, OK, but, you know, what happened to them? He said he'd buried them somewhere around the Prestwood area, which is off the I-449. When you put 
all the various pieces of information that you're in possession of together now, what does it lead you to conclude? Well, man, there's, there's no concrete ev evidence, but I, th I really believe that if he didn't even, if he didn't actually shoot, he he knows more about that than he's let on. Would it surprise you if the truth was, Bert Spencer, your ex-husband, killed Carl Bridgewater? Would that surprise you? No, it wouldn't. In fact, do you suspect that's what happened? Well, you know, it's hard to say, but deep down, yes, I probably, I do, really, now. It's, it's something I've had to live with for a long time by not saying anything or might, might amount to nothing, what my memories are, but... Would you like the police to reopen this case? Well, I can say that's the only course of action now. I think he's, you know, because he's written a book and we've got a documentary coming that, you know, he's, he's forced uh, uh, my hand, really. I've never, ever spoken before. Bert Spencer denies all Janet's allegations. He says he has no recollection of a missing green sweater. He says her account of events on the night that Carl's murder was first reported on TV was, quote, nonsense. He said he did have a shotgun, but it was sold two months before Carl's murder. He denies hiding or burying stolen antiques or discussing them with Janet. Regardless of all of the allegations that keep coming my way, hear this. I will never, ever be a scapegoat for the murder of Carl Bridgewater, for you or any other idiot who comes forward with allegedly accusations. I feel sure there will be more in the future. I will cope with them. This is where the story ends, for now. And perhaps you're left with as many doubts and questions as me after hearing these two episodes. Now, we can only hope that Carl Bridgewater is not forgotten, and that someday this brutal and senseless murder will finally be solved. This podcast episode is from the Channel 4 documentary, Interview with a Murderer, directed by David Howard. If you go to our YouTube channel, Real Stories, you can watch it in its entirety for free, along with many other full-length documentaries. I am your host, Stephanie Bauer. If you liked this episode, remember to subscribe for even more gripping and intriguing stories like this, and leave a review and help us spread the word. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at Real Stories Docs. That's one word, Real Stories Docs, spelled D-O-C-S. See you next week. 
Until then, stay safe. Thank you.